one question, two stories, one image I want to impress upon us this morning. Question. Imagine if this was you. Imagine that you have just been crowned queen or king of the world. What kind of king or queen would you be? What would you start? What would you stop? Who would you pardon? Who would you not? Maybe that's a little bit difficult. So let's just narrow it a tad. Let's just say you had some more extra royal duties as mayor of the Maroondah city. And you became king or queen of this great city. And all the people in this city were part of your minions. What kind of queen, what kind of king would you be? What would you start? What would you stop? Who would you pardon? That might be a little hard, so let's narrow it a little bit more. Let's say that you were king or queen of your basketball team or your footy team or your school or your workspace. And you had command over all of the people that you had jurisdiction over. What kind of king, what kind of queen would you be? Who is the person you would want to get even with first? Who would you pardon? Who would you not? That's a little hard. Let's just press it in a little bit closer. Imagine if you were a king or queen of your own home. You know, the one that you built and that you gave birth and sent forth children into. And let's say one day you stood up amongst them and you said, Oh, my children, I would like you to go and pick up the clothes in your room or put the dishes in the dishwasher or tidy up after yourself. And they said to you in turn, Oh, my father king... Oh, my queen mother, of course I shall though go and do that now. And they proceeded to do all those tasks. And then you woke up because <laughs> you were dreaming. Let's just narrow it down a little bit further. Let's just say you were king or queen of yourself. Your mind, your body, and the sphere of influence that you have around you. Let me ask you this morning, what kind of king would you be? What kind of queen would you be? over yourself. See, the truth I'm told is of kings and queens or power and authorities, we don't know what kind of king or queen we'll be until someone threatens our kingdom. Has anyone ever threatened your kingdom? When I was high school teaching, I remember being in the staff room one particular day and there was a senior teacher and a junior teacher. The senior teacher had been there for many years. The junior teacher had only been there for a year or two and they had their desks abutting one another. And in the center of it, there was a bookshelf and the senior teacher had lined up his books on the shelf top and the top of her shelf, her dominion as well. And one day came that she had all these extra books and she wanted to file them in her desk on the bookshelf above. And so she slid one of her books that knocked his and pushed one over his side. He was sitting on the other side. She was sitting on hers. He saw this. His kingdom had been disrupted. And he pushed the book back ever so gently. Well, she didn't like this because her kingdom was being clearly encroached upon. So she got another book and she slid the two and she pushed them this way to which he knew what was coming. So he was waiting on the other side and he kind of was resisting. And I was watching this in the staff room. 
And then she got a third book and she started to push harder to which he then sort of gathered his whole body around the bookcase and started to push back this way as she was pushing this way. And then their books went absolutely everywhere. Books just went high, low. He stormed out and she burst into tears and I was left picking up the pieces behind me. So let me ask you this question today. What kind of king or queen are you? Because the truth is, what comes out when you're under pressure and your kingdom is threatened the most is the kind of king or queen you may be. The truth is, you are a king and you are a queen. In the first book of the Bible, the first three chapters, the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, it kind of goes like this, that there was a creator, a maker, and that he formed his garden temple and he flourished it with um, and ordained it with, with different kinds of trees. That's why it was important to hear what tree Lucas was standing beside just in case. And, and, and there was just this garden temple. And what would a God do in that ancient Near East? After he's built his temple, he would put his image within the center of that temple, man and woman. And in that place, in that space of man and woman, where then the presence of that God would dwell and come and be present in that space, he gave them a task or a vocation. He said, what I want you to do is continue on my creative work, the work that I've begun by bringing order and shape to this world, I want you to continue. I've given you a job. What I'd like you to go and do is exactly the same. I want you to bring my wise order and my wise governance over this dominion. And so he said, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. I want you to fill the earth. I want you to have dominion over the birds in the air and the fish in the sea and the animals that scurry along the ground. If you like, he ordained them to be kings and queens. And then in chapter 2, what comes up is that he, he takes it, it's a corresponding, it's a likeness. He now takes Adam and, and he pictures and portrays him as the one who's naming and giving dominion and actually doing that vocational job over all of creation. He's naming them one and the other, one and the other, boy, girl, one, two, one, two. And it takes a little while for Adam to actually get to the picture of it all because after he's named everything, the penny drops. Wait a second. It's boy, girl. Boy, girl, one, two, one, two, one. It takes a while for us sometimes. <laughs> and the mass was simple. Two. So there was an aha moment. And so it says God in, the, in, that, in that story, that narrative, that truth telling, he takes a, a rib and he actually forms. And he goes, ah, finally someone who corresponds to me. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And, and if you like, it was... It was uh, embalming and enhancing this idea that human beings were given a vocation, but they're also made for companionship. That the deep center of who they are, we we're supposed to complement one another and co-create together. And so there's this form, this wonderful nurturing picture of, of marriage and a man and woman should come together and it's in that space, that healthy whole space in which children should be born and they will multiply and fill the earth and govern it with God's wise, good governance. If you like, the creator gave people made in his image the ability to creates. And in this picture, God wasn't distant. He wasn't the deist God who was far away, but he was close and proximal and present. He would come and be with them in the cool of the day. And it was like heaven and earth had come together and were overlapping in this sacred garden 
temple space. And then came chapter 3, the greatest mystery of all. In this place where he had set those first early hominids up to go and do that work, flourish under my care, he gives them a job and together all of a sudden evil disrupts. In the form and the shape of a servant, there comes a temptation. And all of a sudden, man and woman's eyes are enlightened to this idea and this lie that God has been holding out on you and that he is not worthy to be trusted. He is not good. And so the two early hominids by the name of Adam and Eve, they, they actually decide to do something that is untowards and otherwise unknown to them. They eat of a fruit and what it releases into that garden state, that temple is a ripple in which there's first human beings are now in, if you like, disobedience, mistrust and rebellion to God and it sends a ripple through it all. And there's a darkness that enters their heart and a distortion that goes into mind, those kings and queens. And then God comes looking for them in the cool of the day. And they hide because they realize for the first time that they are naked and that they have disrupted something of the harmony and the flourishing that God intended to have. And the amazing picture of this story is not that we can ask 21st century questions of it and say things like, well, how did it happen? And where did it happen? And who did it happen to? But the power of this story is that it's your story and my story. The power of this truth-telling story is that it's true for you and it's true for me. Have you ever been in a situation where you've been called to account and the first thing you do is just blame everyone else? Have you? Just this week. Think about the people you blamed. Someone else's fault. Have you ever been in a situation where someone has let you down and the first thing you want to do is get even? This complementary nature of between the two people is no longer that same way and it's fractured. If you like, they were cast out of the garden and the toil of their arms was going to produce the fruit that was going to flourish once, but now it's through the toil of their brow and the harmony, if you like, together, the corresponding nature there would be conflict with. I mean, have you ever said harsh words to the people that you are supposed to love the most? Have you? Have you ever thought things about them that you go, you know, how does that love and this anger sit together? Yeah? I wonder if you've ever been in a situation where you have toiled so hard and you have created and made only to be frustrated that it's fallen apart and we're doing it again and again and again. Have you ever experienced that frustration of work? You see, the power of this story is that it's our story. If you like, it tells so much more about who we are. God's kings and queens no longer had the shiny crown. Where there was beauty in the world, there's also brokenness. Where there's supposed to be wise ordering and governance, there is disorder as well. Isn't that your story? It's my story. I remember as a late teenager, early 20s, experiencing a time in my life where I was just kind of frustrated with life. Have you ever had those times? 
it's not quite working and you're a bit angry and you're a bit frustrated. And the one thing in my life that kept me going that I thought this was my comfort zone was my sport. I loved sport. I was a phys ed teacher going towards that. I love running and athletics and all of that stuff. If you had have asked me, I would have said, yeah, I believe in God, but this is really my God and my goddess. <laughs> and I remember one night lying in bed, just angry and frustrated. And I remember calling out to God and saying words to the effect of, God, don't you ever think you are going to take away my sport or my running from me? You can call me Adam. Because I was back in the garden, right there. Didn't trust God, didn't believe in God that he would be good, that this was my kingdom and I was the king and that's the way it was. And then some months after that, I went away on a camp that I was helping lead on. Yes, if you had asked me, I would have said, I believe in God, but is he a king? And I remember being away on that camp and over a period of a week that extended to a month to two months, it was as though when I met the other people that I interacted with, they had a glint in their eye and there was something going on in them and it kind of infected and caught on to me as well. And I began to experience a love and a grace and a gentleness in my life that was God weaving his way, shifting himself to become present and king of my world. It's the only way I can explain it. Is that in God's goodness, he still loved. Even me, the one who said, don't you... Have you ever done that? Maybe to God? Maybe to yourself? You know, hindsight, it was a really foolish thing for a young guy to say. God could have said, right, let me impair your legs. But something altogether different happened. I found myself being shifted and changed. I reckon one of the first things that happens when you make God the king of your life, not just believe in him out there, but bring him in here, is that he begins to rework the ordering of your mind and changes the affections of your heart. Six months later, I was turning up to my coach's room and saying, I don't want to run anymore. It's found its place. It's not the center. One question, two stories, one impression. Which leads me to this question. What kind of image of Jesus, what kind of image of God do we have? Is he the distant deist God who winds it up and doesn't care? Is he the fickle Roman and Greek God who just kind of changes his mind? Is, is he the universal lolly dispenser machine that just gives you sweet things? What kind of image do you have being a king and a queen yourself over his good creation? Broken and beautiful at the same time. 
Jesus performed a miracle and he healed someone. They had been born blind. He healed them. This person, eyes open, see Jesus, gobsmacked. Just look at him and go, you are the king. You are Israel's Messiah. You are the one. Grabs hold of him. Jesus says these words. He goes, for judgment I came into the world so that those who are blind may see and those who see may blind. And there's this faction group by the name of the Pharisees. And, and, and some of them hear this and they say, are you saying that we are blind? And Jesus turns to me and says, well, because you say that you can see and you're not seeing me, you're blind. <laughs> and he goes on and tells them this story. And, and this is the way he, he uses his words to describe the picture that's resonated throughout the entire pages of the Bible about the image and the picture of who God is. One of the most profound pictures and the image and the impression of who God truly is as king of the world. And he says these words. I'm telling you the solemn truth, said Jesus. Anyone who doesn't come into the sheepfold by the gate but gets in by some other way is a thief and a brigand or, 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 or a stealer. But the one who comes in through the gate is the sheep's own shepherd. And the doorkeeper will open up for him and the sheep will hear his voice and he calls them by name and he leads them out. Jesus described himself as a shepherd. They were kind of confused by this and so he expanded a little bit further and he went on and said these words. He now likens himself to a gate. He says, I am the gate of the sheep. You see, in, in Middle Eastern culture, that have all these stone walls built up, not, not metal ones and wooden ones like, like we know. And they'd have a little hole, one sort of gap in the wall. And, and the shepherd, if you like, of the nighttime would actually plant himself and sleep in between the gap. So nothing could get in, nothing could get out. He was the protector. And Jesus says, I am the gate of the sheep. All the people who came before me were thieves and brigands, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone comes in by me, they will be safe and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and to kill and destroy. I came so that you could have life, yes, and full to overflowing. You see, the picture that Jesus has of what this king, this God, this creator of the universe is like who made us, if you like, kings and queen with our, our dusty kind of crowns on our head is that he is like a shepherd and he is good and, and he wants to find you pasture and he wants you to know his voice so that you can hear it. If you like, he has a picture like this. The sheep are following because they know his walk, they know his smell, they know his sound, and they're trusting. They're not being childish, they're just being childlike. <laughs> Some years ago, after I finished our study, we were in Israel, and, and our tour guide took us off tour. We were walking through some ancient Roman aqueducts, and we came upon this, this, this wadi of water, and there was these two shepherd boys that were just playing by the stream and there was a family a little further up and they were eating lunch and there was all of these sheep and goats all scattered throughout the rocks. And in the Middle East, they don't treat them like stock, they treat them like family members. And, and as they were lazing in the cool of the day, so were the sheep and the goats. It's this wonderful, beautiful scene and I'm told that to this day that if the shepherd had called out to any one of the goats or sheep, they would come because they know them by name and they come. So let me ask you, what is the picture of God that you have? Is the universal dispenser machine or is he the one who comes 
to find pasture for you, to renew and restore his creation that he loves, to reorder your heart and your mind so you don't have to shake your fists and mistrust so that you can open up and say, God, here I am. What do you want me to do? That is the picture. Do you find anything beautiful about that? Anything worthy? Anything honoring? And then he finishes. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep too which don't belong to this sheepfold. I must bring them too and they will hear my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd and that shepherd is good. The lie of the garden is a lie. And the shepherd is good. So I wonder here this morning, do you know him as good? You're finding it hard to trust him where he leads. Is it difficult to hear his voice? But as I read these words, I find in me a stirring that says, I have found in this king shepherd someone who renews my heart and restores my soul and he is not worth keeping to myself. That's why. I would like this year, if I could now put on my shepherd's hat for NCR for one moment, say that this year I think should be a plus one year. A year in which I don't just keep this good shepherd to myself, but is one in which I am invited to give him away. So this is what I propose. This is the risk. This is the journey I would invite you to come on. To April I lay those foundations. What is Jesus on about? Then in May, I'm going to ask you, bring your work clothes every Sunday here because I want to ask the question, how does my work life and how does the the work of my hand connect in with what Jesus is on about? And then from that time on, what I'd love to do is lay the foundation because what I discover is that most people don't know anything about the good shepherd. And so what I'd like to do is for the rest of the year, highlight how does knowing God make a change to my life for the better? How does God work in my life and how does he make life work? Make sense? And so that there'll be a time and a season at the beginning where I'm just going to say, would you include someone in your life, a plus one? You know, you get an invite and they say plus one, that you might include them in your sphere. And and then a little bit later in the year after May, why don't you invite them to something? Maybe here, maybe to a cycling group, maybe to a a barbecue, something else that's happening around a cinema event. Uh, And then after that, we might lead into the the rest of the year where I say, I I want to know if you would dare to ask the question like I'm going to ask the question of that person or those people. I'm exploring Jesus and I'm wondering if you would like to discover him too. I'm wondering if, if you'd like to explore Jesus. And we just let the seeds fall where they may. But I'm wondering if you'll come on a journey with me. Because I find that in the good shepherd, he is good. And he's come to renew a world with good news and power. Cindy, would you come? Coming up, news eyes. We're just going to have a moment 
to reflect. Because as you've been hearing me, I wonder what's going on in your world. So to help this and help the journey over the next term, what I'd like you to do is reach under your chairs right now and you'll find there's a booklet. Will you take that out? It's one that looks just like this. In fact, will you grab hold of it and would you write your name in it because this is now yours. And what I'm going to invite you to do over this next term is that if you are immersing, so the group that started this morning, I would invite you, would you join in in the, the good news story about Matthew? If you'd like to read that throughout, you can take that right now. I know it's beautiful, isn't it? You just want to chat to the person next to you and say, isn't this awesome? This is just an amazing crown that's here and it's blue or green. Or Why don't you go ahead and write your name on it? And then what I'd like you to do... If you haven't got enough, that's okay. Do not panic. There'll be others that'll be, that'll be dispersed around. You can grab one just after. That's fine. And then what I'd like you to do is go ahead and write this question, these three questions at the very top, because I'd like you to take this with you throughout the next term. You can bring it on a Sunday as we lay foundations. In fact, out in the foyer, there's some extra books if you want to do some extra reading um, that you can take with you. I'll let you know about those in the coming week. And what you can do here this morning as these guys play, I want to create a space. The ancient Celts called it a thin place, a place where heaven and earth kind of came together like that garden temple where the barrier between heaven and earth was thin. It was a space where God spoke, sometimes with water, sometimes in a sacred space. But I want to create that for us here. So Cindy's going to sing. You don't need to join her. But what I'd like you to do is would you write down these three questions? If we create a sacred space, a thin space, that as they sing, you might open up yourself to God. That's new. You can talk and speak and reflect. You might want to close your eyes. Three questions are, I am the good shepherd king. You can write that. Do I believe this? And am I trusting and following that good shepherd? What does he want to say to me? And lastly, God, who might be my plus one? that you want to bring to me in my mind right now that you might write them down. Is that okay? Spoken for too long. I've only got a few guts on the ground. There's more to come. Thin space. Why do you encounter God now?